So many people want to get a book published and it's really, really tough to get a book contract. And that's why today we are speaking with one of the best literary agents in New York City, Mark Gottlieb. He is with the literary agency, the Trident Media Group. Mark, tell us about your work. Tell us what you do. We are essentially a talent agency for authors. It's really no different than what a talent agency out West in Hollywood, California would do for actors or screenplay writers or directors only. We are specific to book publishing, which is really based here in New York City. And we work uh, with a huge list of authors. Well, it's a family business. Tell us about that. And your, your, your company has represented some very well-known authors over the years. There are a lot of number one New York Times bestselling authors here, Pulitzer Prize winning authors, you name it. Um, if there's a major award, uh, one of our authors is probably up for it. In fact, this year uh, at the National Book Awards, we have uh, two uh, clients of ours who are up for that award, Marlon James for uh, Black Leopard, Red Wolf, and Layla Lalami who wrote uh, The Other Americans. What's the shortest, fastest, easiest path to get a business book published? You not only need to have a great idea, a unique and interesting idea, but you need to be an authority on that subject matter. And I think you also need to really uh, have a strong platform. And by that, I mean, whatever you're saying, you need to be saying it from a Broadway stage and not a soapbox. And that can, that can come to mean any number of things. It can mean a million social media followers. It can mean a huge newsletter subscriber base. It can mean lots of website traffic or, or someone who does speaking engagements to hundreds, if not thousands of people throughout the country, throughout the year. So give us an overview of the overall process. And then I definitely want to drill down into each of those pieces and really especially dive into the platform piece that you mentioned, because it's so important. An author who's looking to do at least a nonfiction book, you can sell it on proposal basis, which is comprised of just a book proposal with things like a table of contents, uh, you know, a couple of sample chapters about the author, perhaps a a marketing plan, competitive uh, overview, things of that nature. And hand in hand with that, you want to be demonstrating in the proposal that there's a very strong platform there. Because what's really going through the minds of publishers is if, if this author has, let's say, a million followers and only 10% of those people end up buying the book, the publisher is thinking they're still in good shape financially. So that is, is going to be key um, to having that all together with, with the book proposal. I would say the book proposal all told with the sample pages um, and the different sections of the proposal, you could be looking at easily 50 to 75 pages within the book proposal. Um, and uh, again, as much as you can in terms of the platform to be really throwing those numbers in the eyes of publishers. It seems that expertise is kind of the initial gating factor, but expertise alone is not sufficient to get you a publishing contract. That's true. You can be an amazing writer. You can have a wonderful idea that can really stand up in the marketplace. And you could, you could be the foremost person on, on your idea 
But unless you have that platform, um, it's very hard to convince publishers. But there, there are ways around that. There are ways to construct a platform, but it's going to be one of the first things on a publisher's mind. And that is because of the, the economics. Essentially, the, the publishers want you to be marketing the book. That's right. They want a built-in audience. So if someone has a huge multinational company and they want to do a book and they can make it required reading essentially for their company, that's a built-in audience right there. Or if they're doing speaking engagements where you know maybe they're, they're someone who they tend to do things like TED Talks or things of that nature, they can go to those audiences and do a Q&A at the end of the show and to do a book signing and talk about their book. And that's an opportunity there to be selling copies of their book. Historically, it was the role of publishers to help you market your book. Now it seems like it's turned around. It's like, okay, you publish my book, but what are you doing? And why am I going to you when you want me to sell the book? I think book publishers tend to look at their their biggest titles and they devote their, their resources for marketing and promoting those books, uh, those biggest books of theirs. So you really have, I would say you have lead titles, you have a section of key titles, and then you have like a broader list of titles beneath that, like maybe some make books or things like that. And yeah, the publisher will do some marketing and publicity, and they certainly have some, some in-house teams that do that. But I also see a lot of authors who go out and some of them hire their own publicists, which can be very expensive. Some of them you know, if they work at big companies, they can utilize the resources they have there. Um, and others, it's it's like flipping a switch. I mean, I have a client who he'll publish a book and then he'll tell his followers on Twitter about it and they'll be out there buying the book. So given the importance of that platform, let's talk about that. And you mentioned a few things, but describe for for a business author who's not a celebrity, but they're an expert in their field and they're on Twitter, what constitutes a sufficient platform in order to sell a book contract? A platform that would be submission worthy uh, for someone could be, you know, you could, you could really say, I'm tied in with all of these different people and organizations by extension. Here's what their social media numbers are. Here's what their followings look like. This is the kind of poll they have. And they're going to come around me and the book and they will be, um, you know, my community. They will be that tide that really lifts the boat. Um, that is another way, I think, really to, to construct platform in the eyes of publishers. Give us an example of, of, of a platform that's, that's, say, not sufficient. And the reason, see, I'm, I'm asking about that boundary condition, because I think if you've got a million followers on Twitter, you know, where you're CEO of a multinational company, that's kind of a no brainer. And at the other extreme, if you don't have any followers and nobody's ever heard of you, but you're a niche expert as somebody from on Twitter, Arsalan Khan just commented, then it's not going to work. And so that's why I'm kind of exploring that middle ground. That's the gray area. I would say that once you get outside of maybe the tens of thousands of followers and closer to the hundreds of thousands, publishers start to get a little bit more interested. Um, sometimes, again, there are ways to construct a platform to convince publishers. I think when we, when we spoke before, Michael, I told you an ex a, sort of a funny example. I had a, a client who uh, was very well connected in the industry. I mean, her, her mother founded a lot of famous publications um, like Bust and places like that. 
And um, she wanted to write like a, a, a teen, actually a teen memoir, you know. Um, she was she was something of like a Greta Thunberg, but in this uh, sort of actually in the world of, uh, I would say, like feminism and things like that. And um, the strange thing about her was she had done all these things like um, she had, had done a moth slam. She had uh, she had given a TED talk. She had spoken at the U.N., she wrote, she wrote for Hello Giggles and, and um, places like that, but she was very anti-social media, and uh, she had she had locked her accounts, which was a strange thing for someone of her generation. So we had to sort of convince publishers because we couldn't directly show them the numbers, but we could show them things like these are the talks she had given, these are the organizations, and these are the people she know. Like she knows uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, and and they can endorse the book. They can they have big social media followings of their own. And so we really constructed a platform around her. And I think that was a really good example of someone who, you know, at first glance, if you look at their social media numbers, they would surprise you. You might think they were paltry, but um, there was actually a lot more there under the surface. So the platform is not simply a function of social media numbers. Is that correct? That's correct. It can mean it can mean any number of things, and it's not everything. Sometimes books have sold, you know, without a platform. They're they're the rare few, the the exceptions. But um, it's something that publishers are going to think about. It's one of many things in in the nonfiction process because nonfiction is is idea driven, but it's also that that person writing the book. Whereas the world of fiction is so different from nonfiction. It's totally about the quality of the writing, and then the author, by extension of that, becoming a household name. In nonfiction, the author almost already needs to be close to a household name. What are some of the strategies that you, you began to talk about that that an expert can use? Let's say we have an expert that's got 10,000 followers on Twitter, say, and they're well-known in their field. And let's say it's even a field that's a popular field these days, like, like AI or less so digital transformation. How would you evaluate whether they're going likely, whether, I guess, can we say, how would you evaluate whether you're going to represent that person? Cause you're the proxy for the publisher, right? There are a lot of other factors in play. We're looking at the marketplace. We're looking at um, if there's room in the marketplace for such a book, how competitive is it if there's a similar book that's doing really well? Because every time a successful book is published, I can tell you a publisher is going back into their previously published books. They're looking at their backlist and they're trying to dig something up to publish quickly to meet that need in the marketplace. And if they can't find that book then they're within their own list, then they're going to seek it out. And so sometimes a book can come along and just surprise you and, and um, you know, meet an, a certain need. Um, you know, I think a good example of that, actually, to, to use a fiction book as a good example, but it's it's very much so connected to nonfiction and the business of publishing, is Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code. Because when that book published, every publisher was tr- was scrambling to, to do their own version of that kind of book. They went into their backlist. They they were looking for new kinds of books to to be chasing that wave, and one publisher went back into their previously published books, in, into their nonfiction backlist. And they saw 
there were a lot of people reading about um, church conspiracies having to do, I mean, there are plenty of, I suppose, church conspiracies and maybe having to do with the Catholic church, but specifically there were a lot of people interested in Mary Magdalene who were, were seeking that kind of book out in the nonfiction space. And so what the publisher realized was there was this big underrepresented audience that couldn't find a book like that. And Dan Brown, who for a very long time, I mean, you want to talk about platform. This is a guy who was essentially a, what we call a mid-list author in book publishing. You know, he, he just has some very quiet publications. He wasn't a big bestseller. He had sort of moved along with his editor, Jason Kaufman, from publisher to publisher. I think he had gone from, say, Martin's Press to HarperCollins, then eventually to Random House. And by the time the Da Vinci Code was published, no one could have seen this coming. You know, it was totally organic what happened. So overnight, it spun into something like that. In the realm of uh, business books, again, I- I'm still harping, um, I'm still focused, fixated on this platform because it seems that for a, an expert business author, the platform is the most difficult hurdle to overcome. So, so again, let's go back to an expert who is known in their field, is a good writer, doesn't use social media all that much. They're desperate to get published. What can they do? Sometimes I meet authors like that who they have a great idea. They're an expert. They're, they're close to something. The platform's not quite there. And oftentimes what I have to tell them is, you know, it's a little bit cart before the horse, but, you know, I say there might be ways to beef up your platform. You know, if there aren't ways to construct it, um, you know, I don't want to say fabricate it, but to show publishers that there's a platform there, then you have to begin to build one. And sometimes we do a social media audit for our clients. We look at their website and their online presence and we see areas for improvement, other ways they can engage with followers and really begin to build out an audience so they can come back to a publisher with, with metrics, you know? Um, that's what the age of the internet has done. It's, it's made everyone obsessed with those numbers. So, um, again, yeah, I have met people like that at conferences and sometimes I'll refer them to books on the subject of, of building one's platform. There are plenty of books out there about it. Um, you read any book about nonfiction book publishing, I'm sure it will come up. Um, but I think that, um, putting yourself out there, um, whether it's doing online talks, whether it's, I mean, whether it's blogging or, or something, you know, something can catch and it can, it can go viral. And it's not merely just throwing pebbles in a pond because even when you do that, I think pebbles in a pond, they make ripples and there are many fish living underneath the surface of the water there. So, um, that's usually what I advise when, when someone needs to be looking at their platform that's not just quite there yet. Great advice. We have a number of questions that have come up on Twitter. Sal Rasa makes the comment that you're really talking in a way about the digital transformation of getting book contracts, at least from the author's standpoint. It's all about the, it's, it's basically this change from expertise to digital broadcasting in a way. I mean, after the internet, we, there was, it's like, there was no going back. Like Pandora's box was just opened. And whereas before, you know, 
there were, wasn't really a way to measure any of this stuff. Um, so, you know, there are authors who I have sold who, again, I, I can say they're, they're connected to organizations and the numbers just aren't there, uh, you know, on the internet, but it's, it's so much easier. It's, it's almost a no brainer when you go to a publisher and say, you know, if I was to say to a publisher, Richard Branson or Elon Musk wants to write a book, then again, they can write the book idea on a nap, but for someone else, they need to commit themselves to that proposal and, uh, and the sample chapters and then show, um, some kind of audience, you know, if it's, if they don't have the audience in terms of the numbers, if they can say they do a lot of speaking engagements that goes a long way with publishers. And Arsalan Khan, again, makes a comment and he basically says, so basically you have to be famous before you get more famous. You know, there are people who have gotten famous off of their books. Um, I mean, there are authors who got their start, I think, doing a show on NPR. I think, you know, Malcolm Gladwell probably had a much smaller audience before the tipping point. Uh, there are some authors who, who do look luck out and, and who don't end up having very quiet publications. The, the book ends up being like a springboard for them onto the bigger and better thing. So, uh, that's why I said platform is key, but it's not everything. And we have another question from Twitter and Zachary jeans asks under what circumstances would you advise a writer to self-publish versus working with a company like an agent like you and a, and a traditional publishing company? Well, the first thing I'll say is in regard to a traditional publisher, most every book publisher, certain every major trade, big five book publisher will not accept an unsolicited submission unless it comes by way of a literary agency. They just prefer not to deal with authors who you know might be a little wet behind the ears. And at the same time, um, a literary agency will keep a much stronger contract with book publishers. Um, they'll know the inner workings of a publishing house and be able to secure a much better deal, a much better, better contract, and, and, and a more enjoyable and successful publishing experience. Um, you call the main line of any book publisher and you'll probably hear something like that on the main line. Um, in regard to self-publishing, especially at, when it comes to nonfiction, I would usually recommend against it unless it's simply for vanity purposes, you know, simply to have a book to show friends and family or, or things like that. Because in the average lifetime, in the lifetime of the average, you know, self-published book, they may be sell between 10 and 12 copies. And a lot of that is because there's just a glut of material out there in the self-publishing world. I mean, there's millions upon millions of self-published books. Anyone can go out there and self-publish a book. A lot of it is very low quality stuff because there aren't a lot of, it's not professional publishing. It's not, there aren't a lot of mechanisms in place uh, to make for a better publication. And you really have to be a marketing guru in order to get your book to stand out in the self-publishing sphere. Uh, and even more than that, uh, if you're looking at it, uh, self-publishing by the numbers and as, as a profit center, it's really become a race to the bottom. I mean, if you look at the Amazon top 100, you're going to see a lot of 99 cent books. You're going to see a lot of books which are given away for free just so that they can 
gain more visibility. Um, if you're lucky, you'll see a, a $2.99 or a $4.99 book, but it's like two gas stations across the street from each other. One gas station lowers their price just by you know a little bit. The other one sees that and they undercut their, their prices and then it just ends up cannibalizing um, the business on there. So I think early on, there were some authors who did hit the jackpot in self-publishing and were successful, um, less so now. Uh, I think authors who became what we in the industry call hybrid authors, where they were smart enough to, to keep a foot on both side of the, sides of the saddle, one side in self-publishing, one side in traditional publishing. Those who made it into traditional publishing were a lot better off. But for nonfiction, specifically in self-publishing, most people tend to read the genres. Again, look at the Amazon Top 100, and most of what you're going to see there is science fiction, fantasy, thrillers, women's fiction, romance, books like that. You're not going to see a whole lot of nonfiction. If you do, it tends to come from uh, traditional publishers, and very, very few have I ever seen from, from self-published books. So Mark, let me play devil's advocate for a moment. We're talking about whether the the value of a traditional publisher versus self-publishing. So in the case of somebody that's got this platform that knows how to market, what is the advantage for that person to go with a publisher as opposed to self-publish? Because they have the platform and they know how to sell. There are some authors who have gone the self-publishing route who, yes, again, they feel like they have a built-in audience, a strong platform. There is a certain level of risk to doing that because there's the time expenditure, the cost in, in self-publishing, you know, in going out and hiring an editor, a copy editor, a proofreader, a cover designer, a marketing person, a publicist. You could make a big time and financial investment and it not pan out. Whereas when you go the route of a traditional book publisher, what they do is they pay uh, it's called a book advance, which is like a large lump sum of money up front. It's essentially risk money where the publisher is betting on the book. And even if the book doesn't live up to everyone's expectations, God forbid, but that's money that you, can assen you essentially can borrow from the bank and never have to pay back. So it's just money in the author's pocket. Obviously, the place we all want to get to is where a publisher has sold so many copies of the book that it has earned its advance back. And as a result, is the publisher is now paying monies on the back end in royalties. Uh, and so the author already has the advance, and then they're making steady earnings you know, over a quarterly period or, or, or biannually, however the publisher pays out the royalties. Some publishers pay monthly. Um, that's a good place to get to. Um, and then at the same time, a publisher has a lot of distribution mechanisms. When you're an, essentially an ebook author, even if you make a print-on-demand book, you're going to live in just one ecosystem, which is essentially on Amazon. And so if people don't find your book there, or they only come to it really in one format, you're missing out on a lot. I mean, to give you a good example, you know, our company, about a third of our overall income is comprised of foreign rights. That's for books and translation. So I'm actually shipping off next week to the Frankfurt Book Fair in Germany to pitch a lot of foreign publishers to get our books translated and published overseas. It's extremely rare that self-published books 
get translated and published overseas, especially without a traditional book publisher in the picture. You know, that's a, so for any one particular author looking at one book of theirs or a catalog of books, they might be missing out on a third of their overall income for all we know. Uh, their books might, well, well, they probably wouldn't make it into physical retail stores, um, places like Barnes and Noble, independent bookstores, other major retail trade outlets. Um, so again, when you're self-publishing, you're going to just be pigeonholed into this one ecosystem. And if it, do, if it doesn't go well for you in that one ecosystem, you're, you're stuck there. That's it. Let's shift gears a little bit, Mark. So again, you're a top literary agent, and that means that folks are coming to you all the time because you have the track record for placing contracts with publishers. And it means that you're saying no all the time. I'm putting words in your mouth, but I assume it has to be the case. That's right. Essentially, you know, we're the gatekeepers in book publishing. And uh, I don't like saying no. It's not a fun thing to say no. Um, I, want, I would much rather say yes. I want every book to go on and be a success. But it just simply doesn't work that way. Not everything can get published. And so we, we call down the list of what comes in. And, you know, I would say... 99.9% sometimes of what comes in is, is not going to be publishable. And then, you know, even of some of those things, which looks promising, you know, you're calling down that list even further. So, um, you know, it's, uh, you really want to just make for the best chances you can. I think in querying a literary agent or a literary agency, uh, obviously write a knockout hook or elevator pitch put together a great query letter because that's an opportunity to really showcase your writing abilities. Uh, and it's, a, it's just going to be your storefront and everyone's first impression of you. And if I'm not grabbed right away by the first few sentences in a query letter in an email, I have to delete and move on to the next one because there's hundreds of those coming in every day sometimes. You know, I curate shows on CXO talk. And in a way, it's there's some similarities because I get pitched pretty much all the time for people to be a guest on CXO talk. And I can just tell immediately, almost, almost immediately, if there's promise. And I'm sure it must be the same with you. You, you must have that intuition. Absolutely. I mean, you, you do this enough and you see, you see so much of it that you definitely get a feel for it. And you know, you know what will work, not just in the marketplace, but in terms of, of who the author is and, you know, their writing abilities and, and, and how the, um, you know, the book will ultimately read. So sure, you, you get a natural feel for it. All right. Tell us then, what are the characteristics? You, you just, you were so starting to describe it. What are the characteristics of a proposal that comes in that you look at it and you say, yeah, somebody sends you an unsolicited letter or an email, what, it, what is included in that email and what's the composition of that email to make you say, I need to follow up on this? I think upfront in two sentences, what the book is about in hook fashion, you know, something that really excites me. And um, it can just be a really unique idea and sound well-written. Uh, I think making a, a couple comparisons there right away, like we call them comp titles in our industry. Basically, my book is this meets that 
maybe with a little bit of that thrown in. That's sometimes a good way to do that. Uh, so yeah, something that will grab me right away and just just seems unique, and that will draw me into the rest of the letter. And then I think what makes for a good query letter after that is a couple body paragraphs describing what some of the um, sort of the plot details of the book might be, or you know, or or where the the author is going to take us in, through the book through their idea. And then I think the last paragraph in the letter is really best reserved to the author um, listing off their relevant writing experience, writing credentials, their platform, their background. They can include um, some, some authors want to include a, a photo or a headshot. Some want to include a link to a social media page or website um, or publications where their work have, have, has appeared. That's great, too. When should they pitch you and when should they not pitch you? I wouldn't say there's a time seasonally that's good or bad. Um, I'm always open to submissions. Um, I would say that there there are bad ways to go about that, though. I think that um, you know we don't take submissions over the phone or anything like that. You they really need to go through the website. They would go to tridentmediagroup.com forward slash submissions, and we have a form there, and we ask them to fill that out. You know, you won't really get a good result. By bucking the system with anyone, and um, I would say, other than that, um, sometimes I, I get the odd query letter that's you know it sounds really good. Um, I say, great, send me the proposal or the sample chapters, and then the author says to me, "Well, it's not written yet. It's just this is just an idea." Well, then you're not ready to be approaching. An agency, you need to kind of have these ducks in a row where the proposal's written, the sample chapters are together, and it's accompanied by, you know, like a cover letter or a query letter. Do you read every single pitch that comes across your website? You know, personally, I do because I, I trust my own opinion at the end of the day. It's a lot, but you're not reading all the way into every letter. Sometimes you get less than a sentence in and you know it's it's not gonna be Right. So it's not as though I'm going through an entire email of each of these emails. All right. So the summary then is on your website is a form with a description of the process and what you expect. And the best thing an author can do is follow that process and you, you will make an evaluation on every single one that comes across. Unless, again, the agent is putting themselves out there, like if I go to a writer's workshop or a writer's conference or an event, or I meet someone and they hand me their business card or they speak to me, that's, that's fine too. But um, yeah, we tend to prefer that they go through the website and they can, they can read about the agents there. They can read their bios, look at the individual kinds of books they're doing um, and get a sense of them and see who they might want to query. You have accepted somebody. You're one of like the, you know, the author is one of the less than 1% that, of folks that approach you that you have accepted. And now you're talking to the to publishers. Is getting the most money the most important thing for the author? I would say who wouldn't like for that? But it's important in terms of a, a couple of different factors. One is a big advance will obviously please the author the way it would please an agency because our work is commission-based. 
the closest thing to my industry is, is real estate. You know, it's, um, someone sells an apartment or a house for you and they take a commission on that. You know, we sell a book for an advance to a publisher and we commission that. Um, you know, so yes, it will please an author, but what and the big book advance can do with a book publisher is, is interesting in that I can tell you any publisher walking into one of their, their first meetings, whether it, it be a sales meeting or an editorial meeting, and they're saying to their staff, okay, we paid, you know, X number of dollars for this book. How are we going to make our investment back is the first thing they're saying. And so right away, the publisher is, is deeply invested in your book and wants to do a lot to make that advance back. Oppositely, though, it's not necessarily a bad thing when a smaller advance comes about because, look, there are books where they come out of nowhere and completely surprise us. For instance, there's a popular nonfiction sort of prescriptive book called, uh, you, you'll have to pardon my French, it's called You Are a Badass. It's being sold in a lot of airport bookstores, has a bright yellow cover, running press publishes the book. It was a, a book that had gone into their backlist that the publisher had forgotten about, and it, it just blew up out of nowhere, maybe for the, the title of the book or, or the vibrancy of the cover, who knows? Uh, and so suddenly a publish, uh, an author who probably had a nominal book advance immediately earned their book advance back and was making a lot of money in royalties. And then what that spelled for that author was the next book meant there would be a, a very big advance. and and big investment from the publisher in terms of the resources they'd be willing to put behind the book. So I wouldn't necessarily be put off by a small book advance. Um, and in terms of a, a big book advance, again, beyond what a publisher is willing to do, um, it might just mean that the advance takes longer to earn out. Um, or the publisher might turn their attention to other books to try and offset that cost for themselves. Like, you know, Penguin Random House paid over $32 million for the Obamas and all their books, which the Obamas haven't delivered most of them yet. What's the publisher doing? They're, they're looking at other books and trying to find ways to offset those costs until those manuscripts are delivered and those books are successfully published. We have a couple of questions from Alberto Mansour, who's been very patiently waiting. And number one, and you covered this a bit, very briefly, can you just describe differences between nonfiction, as you've been talking about, and uh, fiction, the process of selling a fiction book? Just really brief, please. Fiction is sold on a full manuscript. It's a big commitment for an author, because what if the book doesn't sell? Then you've spent all this time writing what could be an 80,000 word manuscript or more. Um, that's because the editor at the publishing house is thinking, well, the first part of this manuscript is good, but I don't know how it's going to end. And again, fiction is driven by the quality of the writing and that author becoming a household name by extension of that. Whereas nonfiction is really more so idea driven. So if we really get the idea, we know who the author is, they have a strong platform or, or, something of an audience, um, or, or we can reach the, an audience in some way. If we know the idea and we can see a few random sample chapters from the book and the proposal, we kind of know where it's going, you know? And people aren't really, I mean, obviously a nonfiction book should be well-written, but they're not coming to that book for the quality of the writing. They're really coming to it for a particular need, a particular subject or idea. 
Okay, so to quickly summarize them, nonfiction, it's all about the idea and the caliber of your platform. Fiction, gotta be a great, great writer. Be a great writer or God help you. <laughs> okay. And Alberto Mansour asks another question. If you are already a published author, must you use the website or can they send an email? You know, if authors come to us by way of referrals or they're a highly successful author, like, you know, I, I won't expect a New York Times bestselling author or someone like that to, to necessarily go through the website. If they pick up the phone and call me, that's okay. Um, you know, at some point we will want, probably want them to acknowledge our terms and conditions on the site, but it's fine if they, they want to reach out directly. Um, and they're, they're traditionally published author. Very good. Ghost writing. So, so I have a platform, I have a, I have an idea. You think it's a good idea. I think it's a good idea. I don't have the time to write a book. I want to get a ghost writer. I want, I want you to get the publishing company to pay for it. Is that realistic or not? I have seen it go that way. Um, a lot of book publishers want a provenance with the proposal. You know, they, even if the author can, can write, like let's say it's a business executive and they, they want to write their own book, it makes the publisher a little bit nervous when that person, even though they can write well, um, doesn't have a lot of writing experience. So sometimes if we bring in a co-writer or a ghost writer, they can um, make the publisher feel a little bit easier. And so that's a matter of we can sometimes provide a co-writer or ghost writer. And uh, either that's done for like a, a fee to the co-writer or ghost writer or, or they split the proceeds in some way. Like maybe the primary author gets the lion's share. Um, uh, assuming they're willing to cover the uh, expenses of the co-writer or ghostwriter. Otherwise, the uh, co-writer or ghostwriter will um, maybe sometimes get upwards of 50% of the proceeds. If it's a really, really big book, though, sometimes the share is, is smaller. Uh, and yes, sometimes a publisher can provide the co-writer or ghostwriter. What can an author do during the negotiation phase to get the best deal? I guess that's your job, right? That's, that's what you do. During the negotiation phase, I would say if we have multiple offers that come in and a lot of the editors want to interview the author, meet them or speak to them over the phone to get a sense of their personality, make sure that all meshes well and that they share a common vision for the book. What the author can then do that's very helpful in that process is to, get, to jump on a call with me and the publisher and to see how we might excite them. And the best thing the potential author can do on such a call to help that process is to just be like a cheerleader for themselves, their book, their idea, and to just show excitement to the publisher because that becomes infectious and that can work its way all the way through the publishing house. Okay, and we have about a minute left. And so I will just ask you, Given all of the things that you described, what is your considered advice, your ultimate advice, if you want to get a business book published? Ultimately, my advice is do a little research to look at the market, have a very strong and unique idea that stands out, be an authority on your subject matter, 
and try to put for put forth a very strong author platform or begin to construct one. All right. Well, we are out of time, unfortunately, but we sure did cover a lot of ground. We've been speaking with Mark Gottlieb. He is a literary agent, one of the top literary agents in New York City, and that means the world, with Trident Media Group, based in New York. If you want to publish a book, you can go to their website and submit a book proposal. Mark Gottlieb, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us today. Thank you again for having me on the show. Everybody, before you go, I want you to subscribe on YouTube. Tell a friend as well. Actually, tell everybody you know. And hit the subscribe button at the top of our website so you can get our newsletter. Thank you so much. We have awesome shows that are coming up with great guests. And we'll see you again soon. Have a great day. Bye-bye, everybody.